Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, that phony FBI report has already been submitted to the United States Senate. They didn't even take a week, and they didn't interview more than four or five people. What a crock. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we are. On a Thursday, how about it? Are you ready? Thursday, October 4, ready or not, here we go with a roundup of the news of the day, bringing it to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where a lot, but not all, of the news has been happening. And our job is to uh, keep up with what's going on, both at the uh, White House, where Sarah Huckabee Sanders held a rare White House briefing yesterday, And on Capitol Hill, where, yes, the senators, Republicans decided, what the hell, Donald Trump did it, we might as well take the gloves off and attack all of these women who came out and dared uh, say anything about Brett Kavanaugh's uh, heavy, heavy drinking uh, and uh, mistreatment of women, perhaps all the way to sexual assault and attempted rape. We'll bring, we'll, uh, we'll, so we'll tell you what's going on. You tell us what you think about it all here as we reach out to you again from our studio in Capitol Hill. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show. Yeah, Donald Trump's already been tweeting this morning, so you can too. Don't leave the uh, tweet world to him. Take advantage of it. We want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day. And we'll tell you all about it, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Yesterday I mentioned about the uh, National League wild card game to get into the postseason. Last night was the American League wild card game, which saw the Oakland Athletics and the New York Yankees. It did not end well for the Athletics. Mm. Giancarlo Stanton with a big home run. Swung on and drilled a deep left. It is high. It is far. It is a... The home run. Big home run. That made it 7-2, which would be the final score. Wasn't even close Mm. for the Athletics. So they are out, and the Yankees will move on into the postseason where they will face 
their longtime rivals, the Boston Red Sox. I've never heard anybody call them the Athletics. The Oakland A's? The A's. Come to come to A's. Not well, that's the short. A's is short for Athletics. Athletics. I've been a fan of. I've actually. I used to be a huge fan of the Athletics. They had Mark I don't know, from the Bay Area. Jose I've never Canseco. heard anybody call them the Athletics. No we're, we're call them the A's. The, the A's. A's. Yeah. The A's. All right. Well. Uh, Forbes 400 list is out today, and I got to tell you, a major shock. For the first time in 24 years, Bill Gates is not the richest American. The Jeff richest Bezos. American is Jeff Bezos, who broke Bill Gates' 24-year run. Think about this. Yeah. This is the first time that there has been a new richest American since 1994. Wow. That's how long Bill Gates has had a hold on it. Yeah. Uh, so here are the numbers. These numbers are absolutely staggering. The group's total net worth of all of the 400 richest Americans totals $2.9 trillion. That's 7% higher than last year. The average net worth of one of the members is $7.2 billion. Average. Average. Jeff Bezos is. These are all Americans. All Americans. Jeff Bezos is uh, is ahead of Bill Gates by sixty three billion dollars. He is worth this is gross. A hundred sixty billion dollars. That I mean, we're talking about insane amounts of money. Insane amounts. Of money. I mean, they say this is just the big. Last year was the biggest year that that these uh, billionaires have had yeah. ever. I mean, ever, th- th- ever. This is a classic case of growing income inequality. Yeah, it's never more apparent than it is in this list. And by the way, again, Bernie Sanders is so right when he said, "Damn right, goddamn right," that Jeff Bezos can afford to pay his employees fifteen dollars an hour. This is the Bill Press Show. They've got the report. They'll look at it today. They'll vote tomorrow. The fix is in. What do you say, everybody? It's Thursday, October 4. Here we go. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill. And joining you all across this uh, beautiful country of ours, wherever you happen to be in this great land, if you already have to be on the planet, we're right there alongside of you. Uh, the Bill Press Show, the special Thursday edition, live on online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, live on Free Speech TV. There you go in TV land, looking good this morning, and joining you on the radio statewide out in Indiana on Indiana Talks, and Chicago, the great city of Chicago. We are yours in the morning. Uh, You know, uh, your wake up, your breakfast, your cup of coffee, whatever, on the great WCPT. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. It's good to have you on board. And remember, you are the most important part of the program. We love hearing from you. And uh, take advantage of the opportunity to send us your comments on the news of the day uh, on Twitter. At BP Show. Yes, indeed, lots and lots going on. And uh, if you thought, if you thought that the Republicans, Mitch McConnell particularly, and Donald Trump, in their rush, 
in their unseemly haste to get Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court before the midterms and before we find out any more bad stuff about him. Boy, look at what they did with this so-called delay with a so-called thorough FBI investigation. I said this before. I'll say it again. I'm more and more convinced than ever. It is a total, total sham, if you don't believe it. So remember, this is last Friday afternoon that Jeff Flake upset the apple cart momentarily and said, I'm voting to get him out of committee, but I can't vote to get him off the floor. I uh, won't vote to get, unless uh, we have a step back and let the FBI do a little look around. Okay. That was so at the earliest they got started last Saturday. Last yesterday was Wednesday. They were supposed to take a week. They're supposed to interview anybody who had anything to add, could shed any light, and sort of raise questions maybe about uh, what Brett and shed some who was telling the truth, Brett Kavanaugh or Christine Ford. Uh, they finished up yesterday. They interviewed. We think five witnesses did not interview Dr. Christine Ford herself uh, and didn't interview dozens of former classmates of uh, Brett Kavanaugh from Yale or from the um, Georgetown Prep High School who wanted to testify, who asked the FBI if they could be heard, told the FBI they had information that might be helpful. Uh, and uh, they got they got no call back. Uh, and so as a result, uh, they wrapped up their report yesterday. They sent it to the White House yesterday evening. The White House immediately sent it over to the Senate where it will be held today for senators to look at. And they're going to vote on it tomorrow. That is such a farce. How can you possibly take? Uh, and by the way, that's 100 senators, right? Because there's one copy of the report, we're told, in a safe, in a secure room where a senators have to go there with maybe one staff member and, and look at the report on site, not allowed to take it with them, don't get a copy of it. The public is not supposed to see it, although you bet there are going to be a lot of leaks. I sure as hell hope there are going to be a lot of leaks. Uh, but the whole idea... That, that they could get that done and do their due diligence and do their job of, of advice and consent is just an absolute joke. It is total meaningless. Say it again, this FBI report from the beginning has been nothing but a way to cover your ass, cover the ass of Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and I think at least a couple of Democrats, Joe Manchin, uh, at least Joe Manchin, maybe Heidi Heitkamp, who will uh, hide behind this FBI report, which shows nothing, and vote accordingly. Again, uh, reported this morning, uh, there were 650, a letter signed by 650 law professors around the country saying Brett Kavanaugh does not have the temperament, does not have the credibility, does not have the honesty to even be considered as an associate justice of the Supreme Court, and dozens, uh, NBC reported last night, Peter Alexander, dozens and dozens of former classmates who knew Brett Kavanaugh at Yale um, uh, reached out to the FBI, and not one of them 
was interviewed. In fact, so far as we know, the only ones the FBI talked to were Mark Judge, who allegedly was the only other person in the bedroom with Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Ford, where the attempted rape happened. They talked to him. They talked to uh, P.J. Smith. Uh, They talked to Leland Kaiser, the two other friends that Christine Ford identified as being there. Um, They talked to Deborah Ramirez, woman from Yale, who said that Brett Kavanaugh exposed himself to her and forced him to touch her, uh, forced her to touch him. Uh, And um, then also one, one other uh, high high school classmate. That was it. And again, even though Dr. Christine Ford uh, asked to testify through her lawyer, they didn't even talk to the chief witness and the chief accuser uh, in in this uh, entire case. Uh, meanwhile, um, in terms of what's going to happen, Mitch McConnell again saying last night, telling him, uh, "Look, FBI, we didn't care about any FBI. We're going right. We're going. We're going forward." I'm filing cloture on Judge Kavanaugh's nomination this evening so the process can move forward, as I indicated earlier this week. Yeah, we're going, he says, we got the report, we're getting it tonight, and then you can take a look at it. This evening, the Senate will receive the results of the FBI supplemental background investigation of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And uh, starting about 45 minutes from now, It's going to be there for senators to take a look at. Uh, Therefore, like one day, 100 senators, Mitch McConnell says, yeah, you don't need any more time. There'll be plenty of time for members to review and be briefed on the supplemental material before a Friday cloture vote. Uh, So, by the way, we remember what happened last Friday when Jeff Flake got in the elevator and two women, two uh, victims of sexual assault, uh, confronted him and said, what the hell are you doing? Uh, You're not listening to women. You're not listening to us right now. Uh, That also happened to Mitch McConnell uh, when he got off a plane uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Monday, uh, at National Airport. uh, And there were some women there who saw him and and basically gave him the business, too. Uh, Unlike Jeff Flake, Mitch McConnell, just surrounded by his security aides, just walked right by them, wouldn't even recognize them, stone face ahead. And then yesterday he gives a speech on the Senate floor saying, uh, no, I'm not going to listen to these women. We're not going to let them intimidate us. Mm-mm. I don't care how many members they chase, how many people they harass here in the halls. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. We will not be intimidated by these people. I love how he acts like he's some freedom fighter. Like, oh, this is the bravest thing that we could do. Yeah. We won't be intimidated by these People. Victims of sexual assault. Yeah, right. And by the way, by these American citizens whom he's supposed to be working for, by these people of the United States of America. Yeah, what a brave guy. And if you if you don't think, if you don't hear the echo of what he's saying, in uh, he echoing he echoing exactly what Brett Kavanaugh said in his opening statement last Thursday, a week ago today to the Senate Judiciary Committee, when he basically said, I don't care what you do, you're not going to intimidate me, what goes around comes around. Yeah, the same, That's the, they've all adopted the same tone. Uh, for all the for, for all the grief that Republicans try to give Democrats, being snowflakes and so triggered by this stuff, I mean, it, he's acting like it's such, like such an intimidation tactic to just tell these people, 
But these protesters are showing up and saying, hey, I was a victim of sexual assault. We should be taking it more seriously. That he acts like that is yeah. the, the most horrifying intimidation that they can put How up with. How dare they? Yeah. How yeah. dare they? And we are so brave. To We're going to continue mm-hmm. moving yeah. forward. So, so the whole thing is a farce. The whole thing is a farce. I'm telling you, I will tell you if I'm wrong. I will absolutely fess up if I'm wrong. But Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, at least, and maybe a couple of them are going to hide behind this. I wish I could say the whole word. BSFBI report uh, and and vote yes. And this report proves nothing. The FBI, if anything, it just proves that maybe Donald Trump is right. Maybe the FBI is a political operation. Yeah. Um, Meaning we know the FBI certainly helped elect Donald Trump the way James Comey handled the Clinton emails, proving that they were a political operation. I think they're doing it once again here in, in not, you know, the director of the FBI ought to just stand up and say, we're not going to be rushed. If you want us to do our job, we'll do our job. But we're going to do it the way we want to do it. Make sure we talk to everybody who's got anything to add. We're not going to let the Senate give us a BS short time frame of like three or four days and pretend and put our stamp of authenticity and our reputation on the line with a total farce sham of a report, which they did for the United States Senate. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, the uh, Republicans have, have are now following the lead of uh, Donald Trump in mocking uh, not not only uh, Christine Blasey Ford, by the way, but also Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick. They put out a report yesterday. The Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday circulated a letter from a former boyfriend of Julie Swetnick talking about uh, her preferences in sexual conduct or whatever. Uh, just total smear that circulated, not just, not online, this is not on Twitter, this was the Senate Judiciary Committee Republican staff circulated this. And uh, someone pointed out that by doing so, they may have violated the, the Violence Against Women Act, uh, which, which God. rules against circulating un, unfounded smears like that. That's remarkable. Chuck Grassley put it out and said, we, we think people have a right to know um, everything, uh, everything that we hear about this. And if we get stuff, then we feel the public has a right to know. Yeah. They say that at the same time, they won't let us see the FBI report, even though it is a BS report. But I'm saying... But so following Donald Trump's lead, Republicans now lashing out at these women. We remember again, it's worth playing again, Donald Trump mocking uh, Christine Blasey Ford down at that rally in Mississippi. I had one beer. Well, do you think it was? Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How did you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and see, the crowd, including a lot of women, sadly, uh, really get into this, and uh, so Donald Trump keeps going. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. Mm, yeah, that, see, that's when, he's, that, that's when he's at his best, right? When he's mocking women, when he's attacking women, when he's calling them liars. That's the real 
Donald Trump. And this was like four days after he said she was a very fine woman. Four days after he said she was a very credible witness. And now he's now he's back on the real Donald Trump tack. Uh, and of course, defended by his loyal puppy dog, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, at a very rare White House briefing yesterday, she said, no, he wasn't mocking her. He wasn't making fun of her at all. It seemed to me that he was stating facts that Dr. Ford herself uh, laid out in her testimony. Yeah, but Sarah, what about the fact that Donald Trump did say she was a very credible witness? Certainly, um, the testimony by Dr. Ford was compelling. Uh, but you can't make this decision based on emotion. It has to be based on fact. Oh, yeah, based on facts. So um, I attended uh, the Atlantic Magazine has a has a great forum here every year called the Atlantic Festival. Uh, and I uh, was lucky enough to attend part of it yesterday uh, and heard Senator, uh, um, Senator Secretary of State, former uh, John Kerry, then also on this subject, Senator Kamala Harris, who pointed out and uh, just reminded us. So here's Donald Trump mocking this woman and Kamala Harris reminded us, remember, uh, uh, I thought it was a very powerful moment uh, when she reminded us that what was the one thing Christine Blasey Ford told the committee in response to Dick Durbin, the one thing that she said she would never, never forget about that incident. Remember, she said they were laughing at her while he was on top of her. The two of them were laughing at her. Kamala Harris. Last night, the president of the United States at a rally, urging a crowd to laugh at her. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything more. Not, it, inappropriate is not, it doesn't, no. it's not descriptive it's, enough. It's mean. Yeah, mean. And his comments got some cam- condemnation. It, it was. I mean, again, just echoes of that scene in that bedroom, which was so chilling to hear about. And Donald Trump picking up the laughter and urging the crowd to laugh. And to their shame, they went right along with it. They should have booed him off the freaking stage uh, if, they had any, if they had any decency. Um, Donald Trump's comments also getting uh, condemned uh, yesterday uh, across the board um, by, among others, Jeff Flake, uh, among others, Susan, very quick comments here, but... Uh, Senator Susan Collins from Maine. The president's comments were just plain wrong. Yeah. Uh, And um, Senator Lisa Murkowski weighed weighed in as well. Uh, Yeah. Condemn the comments today uh, and vote for Kavanaugh tomorrow. I'm afraid that's the way it's going to be. Uh, Meanwhile, a couple of other things I want to mention. I got to tell you, this, this, this big New York Times article, uh, uh, that we did talk about yesterday with Donald Trump and the Trump empire and the games that the financial games that they played, or, or let's put it another way, the financial crimes that they committed because what the New York times documents and they went through hundreds of thousands of documents. It was all triggered. Now we find out that I think this is so appropriate by the, uh, Donald Trump's sister, I didn't realize, he's got a sister, her name is Marianne Trump Barry, who's a federal judge. 
And in her filing papers for the federal judge that she had to file financial disclosure forms for the Senate, uh, she she mentioned a couple of these companies in the Trump empire that she had received some payments from. And so the New York Times started digging and looking into this. And that's where they found out, found out uh, what they call this entire pattern of tax schemes of phony companies and outright fraud in the in the Trump business empire, which resulted in Donald Trump himself from his father. And remember, Donald Trump said at one time, I got a small loan from my father, a small loan of a million dollars. And he said he built that up himself because of how what a smart businessman he was. He built that up into a fortune of ten billion dollars and it turned out that first of all that one loan was not a million dollars it was 60.7 million dollars and over the course of uh, his career father fred set up 295 think about that 295 different channels to funnel money to donald trump to the to his brothers and sisters too but mainly to trump because they saw that trump was going to be the guy that took over the business, the real estate business. And from that 295 different sources coming in, I don't know about you. Man, I was lucky if my father ever gave me $25, <laughs> 25 cents, hell, right? Let alone 295 channels, which resulted in $413 million to Donald Trump. Yeah. And he used that to leverage one building over another, bum, 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 bum. Wait, you didn't get like a million-dollar allowance? Yeah, right. <laughs> he was, as we uh, talked yesterday, at the age of three, he was getting $200,000 a year from, from his father. Um, think about that, what you could do uh, at the age of three with $200,000. Get a hell of a crib. By the time he was eight, he was a millionaire. By the time he was 40, he was getting $5 million a year from his father. Yeah, just from his father. And at the same time, they were cheating and setting up phony companies and moving money around and setting up foundations and doing everything they could to avoid paying taxes, which they did. And they paid, like, at the, at the most, a 5% tax when the tax for people at that level were, was 55%. It's a total... And yeah, and by the way, the statute of limitations has passed on most of this stuff. One, new, the, at least federally for the IRS, possibly New York State could go after him or New York City. Uh, and my uh, mayor de Blasio yesterday said, you bet if there's any way to get some of that money back, man, we're coming for it. And let's be really clear. City of New York is looking to recoup any money that Donald Trump owes the people of New York City, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as, by the way, good luck. I hope they can do it. Yeah, I doubt sure. it. Yeah, I, I doubt agree. it. I don't think, I don't think anything's going to happen to Donald Trump because of this, but what it does prove again, look, we know he's a compulsive liar, right? Pathological liar. We know a lot of things about Donald Trump. And now we know, I mean, even more than, than before that the guy's a total fraud. He is not a self-made billionaire. He did not build everything he built. I mean, he, 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 he inherited from from his from his father from Fred and then lied about it and then cheated on on his taxes 
So all all of that all of that comes out. I just hope that New York can get some of that can get some of that money back. That would be so sweet. Uh, now, what does the White House think about this? Well, again, at the heat briefing yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the only word she had for it was boring. I'm not going to sit and go through every single line of a very boring 14,000-word story. The only thing, I will say one thing the article did get right, was that it showed that the president's father actually had a great deal of confidence in him. Let me tell you one thing. It's not boring. (laughs) It is not boring. It may be detailed. It may be older news. It is not boring. It is a colossal case of somebody just cheating his way through life and lying his way through life uh, all the way. And, of course, um, now we know, now we really know why Donald Trump would not release his tax returns. <laughs> because it would show all of this. It would show that it was all a scam. Um, a related, I, I just got to salute again. Um, I don't think we did enough of this yesterday, but what Amazon did with, uh, with Jeff Bezos. Now, uh, Peter, you mentioned that Jeff Bezos is now the wealthiest of all Americans, right? Yes, indeed. Total. He beat Bill Gates. Bill Gates is not the wealthiest American for the first time uh, in 24 years. Uh, so you could say, well, Jeff Bezos can well afford to do what he did. But they did. Amazon did the right thing. And Bernie Sanders went out of his way for Bernie Sanders to praise <laughs> a corporate chieftain is very, very rare. But he did because, of course, Bernie has had legislation saying 15, that was his issue, $15 minimum wage, $15 minimum wage. The federal minimum wage level is still stuck at $7.25. Um, and um, Bezos did it for full-time employees, for part-time employees, for people who come through through these you know services that just temporary services or whatever. Everybody who works here gets 15 bucks an hour. Uh, and as Bernie said yesterday, uh, they did the right thing. Got to salute them for doing the right thing. Hope other companies, other cities, other counties uh, follow follow Jeff Bezos' lead. They certainly can afford it. Good for Jeff Bezos for doing it, and good for Bernie Sanders for threatening to come after yeah. him with legislation when he right. wasn't treating his workers. They saw right. the train coming. Yeah, yeah. So you know that they, they said we better get out of the way of this train before we get struck by it. Look, Democrats sort of lost the messaging on on uh taking it to these big corporations. Just if you look at what Barack Obama did with the banks and everybody got off, nobody faced any real consequences for it, you know. But Bernie Sanders went, you know, with the Amazon stuff, said you're going to fix your business, you're going to treat your workers fairly, yep. or we're going to come after you. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked. Absolutely. No. So uh, good for them, uh, Washington Post, Amazon, and Whole Foods, and God knows what else part of the empire. Uh, just one little thing on the political front. We mentioned yesterday that um, one of our guests was talking about uh, that maybe we should be worried about, and, and by the way, should we be worried about all of these until the votes are in, uh, but about a Senate race up in uh, New Jersey where uh, Bob Menendez, who has had some legal problems, so let's face it, uh, might might not be doing so well. I just want to point out the the uh, may not be correct because the Quinnipiac poll uh, yesterday came out with the latest on the uh, New Jersey Senate race, uh, showing Bob Menendez with an 11 point lead, 53 to 42, and uh, according to what people uh, the voters told uh, Quinnipiac. Uh, that most of that lead is uh, comprised of women, 
women who are uh, who have had it with the Republican Party and have particularly had it with the way the Republican Party is treating Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, if that holds true in other House and Senate races across the country, looks like it could be a good day for the Democrats on November 6th. Let's take a quick break. In fact, uh, that, that little uh, story about uh, New Jersey leads us right in to our first guest today, Kyle Kondik, who's uh, with the uh, Crystal, Ball, you know, Crystal Ball Political Center down at the University of Virginia, managing director down there with our good friend Larry Sabato. Kyle Kondik joins us next to take a look at the midterms, House, Senate, governors, all of the above. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is the Bill Press Show, Thursday, October 4. How about it? And here we are at our studio on Capitol Hill, and here we are with you everywhere in this great land of ours, right alongside of you online, on the radio, on television. From our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of, you ready for it? Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. Put Put those letters all together, and you get the Smart Union under the leadership of President Joseph Sellers, the members of the Smart Union giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. You bet. Check out their website at smart-union.org. And another little reminder, every more and more reasons every day to get rid of Donald Trump. That's the subject of my new book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and uh, maybe one to keep him check out our website at billpressshow.com uh tell you where to get your signed copy and also give you an opportunity to add your own reasons we've been adding more reasons every day i don't know what are we up to about a thousand two hundred pretty much now but uh you can do that join the fun at billpressshow.com and how about it look who's in studio with us kyle kondik from the uh, center for politics down at the university of virginia Hello, Kyle. Good to hey, see Bill. you. Hey, Bill. How many did you add from that New York Times story the, <laughs> the oh, other yeah, day? Oh, yeah, right. No. <laughs> with, with all the tax scams. Yeah, uh, right. I heard everything. you talking about it before I came on. Plus his uh, mocking of Christine Blasey Ford. They were big, too, yesterday. You know, I, I, I saw again, uh, I looked yesterday, that the New York, the Washington Post in its latest, they, keep, they track all the misstatements or lies. It's like 4,000, isn't it, or something It's like over 4,000, yeah. uh, 7.6 a day is what they, uh, they you, average. You know, and it is interesting, too, that the president's approval uh, was down in September and then it's back up. I mean, up being a relative term, it's like 42, 44 points or something. But he does do better when he's not in the news. I, I'm convinced of it. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah because because the, the Kavanaugh story sort of being the dominant political yeah, story yeah. The president's approval just tends to go up, and we saw it during the campaign, too. And that's part of the reason why Clinton lost is because she was the focus of the campaign at the end, not yeah, Trump. Right. How about that? Uh, Kyle, we've been uh, trucking here for uh, for the last 40 minutes or so, Peter. Yes, and, indeed. Uh, generating a little, stirring up a little dust, as we love to do. <laughs> Plenty of comments on Twitter where we are tweeting, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, first of all, I want to mention, we have a poll up right now that you can go vote on. <laughs> the poll question is, will Democrats vote no to oppose Brett Kavanaugh? 
uh, go and let us Democratic know. senators. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah yes. Right. Uh, will they vote no to oppose Kavanaugh? Uh, you can choose yes, no, or depends on the FBI report. Right now, 51% of you think that the Democrats will, in fact, vote no. That means all of them will. All of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I'd vote no on that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, we also got a couple of comments, a little bit of pushback on our praise Uh-oh. for Jeff Bezos. Uh, one stipulation here on the $15 minimum wage uh, situation is that Amazon warehouse workers are no longer eligible to receive monthly bonuses or stock awards. So, in fact, some workers will make less money, which makes sense. That's exactly what big corporations will do. They'll find a way to save money while trying to give money. It doesn't shock me at give all. Give with one hand and take away on the other. It I doesn't shock me I'm going to double check that. I didn't know that. Could be we had a bunch of people comment about it, so yeah, I, uh, okay. we should uh, double I'm, check that. I'm not saying they're not telling no, no, the truth. No. Just, I'm just saying I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, also, on uh, Kavanaugh, KG says this was a test for the FBI, and they have failed so far. Total. Time to start watching out for leaks. Uh, we'll see if the I FBI report so. gets leaked out. Yeah, exactly. Remember, if you have a comment on any topic at any time, just find us on Twitter at BP Show. We know if it were at, that report were at the White House, it would leak. No, now that's in the <laughs> Senate, um, maybe not. I don't know. So, Kyle, um, we are uh, what are we about 20, a month? About a month, a month from the election, just yeah. From the uh, midterms. Overall, right? Midterms don't generate that much excitement. Uh, overall, this year, what do you see? I think turnout's going to be high. Uh, if you look at the polls, sort of asking people, you know, how enthusiastic are you to vote? Um, how certain are you to vote? Although, in some of these polls, people, you know, 65, 70% of people say that they're certain to vote. And we know that, that we know many of them are lying. That, uh, yeah. People know that it's socially acceptable or socially desirable to say you're going to vote. And of course, you don't. Yeah. However, turnout in 2014 was just awful. It was like 36%. And you had states like, um, Ohio, I think California was awful that year. Nevada, um, where there wasn't much competition, there wasn't much excitement. Uh, I think turnout's going to be much higher. I think it's going to be. Um, I actually think it might be higher than 06 and 10. In ter- n- not in terms of the numbers, of course, the numbers of votes are growing because the population grows. Uh, but I think you could see turnout, you know, go over 40 percent. Um, and uh, it sort of makes sense. I mean, Americans hate politics, but they're inundated with them, and they can't take their <laughs> they can't take their yeah. eyes off. I saw uh, a figure the other day. I was uh, getting ready for a speech out in San Antonio last week, where in the Democratic primaries so far in in, in th- this year, um, like those yeah, primaries, right? Turnout was up eighty four percent over four years ago, and in the Republican primary, it was up. 24%. That's right. Yeah. So so, so you, there is more enthusiasm overall, but particularly correct. on the left. Right? And and I think, you know, part of the thing with, with these midterms is that, you know, the the Republican-leaning demographics are the more predictable voters. And so basically the Republican Party is older and whiter. You could also say historically that the Republican Party was... Uh, older, whiter, and more educated. However, that more educated block is sort of moving toward the Democrats, particularly in this election. Um, so that's probably going to help Democrats with turnout. What's driving and, it? Uh, well, I mean, Trump's driving it. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. people people are reacting to Trump uh, both positively, but sort of more negatively. Um, and uh, uh, you know, so so again, I think we're gonna we're gonna have a a, a big t- turnout this year, and I think that's generally benefits the Democrats a little bit more because if the turnout's bigger, that means that uh, more less regular midterm voters are turning out, and those voters are probably more likely to be Democratic and women uh, through the roof for Democrats, and um, I think that 
if the Democrats do, in fact, win the House, I think it's going to be driven by a lot of these affluent, highly educated suburban districts. And I think that um, college educated women in those districts are going to be voting overwhelmingly Democratic in, in many places. Uh, and that does seem to be where the, House, the Democratic House gains are likeliest to be concentrated is in those sort of high-end suburban districts. Now, there are, other, there, are other, there are all sorts of different kinds of districts across the country. Um, but if you look at the places where maybe Clinton ran better than Obama did, and there are districts like that across the Sun Belt, there are a lot, there are a lot of them in the Midwest, actually, even though there are many more where Trump did, Trump did better than Romney. Um, those are the places where where I think you're really seeing the movement in the House right now. All right. So let's talk uh, House. Um, and, of course, a big question is House or Senate. But particularly look, focusing on the House, um, do you see a strong likelihood that Democrats or what, what is the likelihood Democrats will take back control of the House? Uh, I definitely think they're favored. I don't know what percentage I would I would put on it. And I'm I. I urge a little bit of caution here just because there are enough competitive seats right now, enough ones that look close that, you know, Democrats need 23. Like right now, I'd probably say, oh, they should probably get somewhere in the low 30s. Um, But if some of those 50-50 races break the other way, you could end up at D plus 21 or something and, you know, a little bit short. So I, I, I just urge a little caution on that. But the broad trends, I think, are generally positive for Democrats. It feels like... The, it's sort of been building in the House. Um, you know, it's not like things have changed really all that much. I mean, that's part of the problem for the Republicans is that throughout the cycle, we've always had the caveat, well, there's time for things to change. Well, there's time for things to change. And we're sort of running out of time for that to happen. And the general trend has been toward Democrats favored in the House. And that's where we remain. Well, when I look at your site or look at the Cook Report and look at some of the, some of the others, I mean, we're talking, as you mentioned, 23. But there are so some, what, 80 to 100 seats in play? Uh, that might be a little high, but yeah, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, uh, you know, 70, 80 seats. Uh, and there are a bunch of Republican House incumbents who are used to having very easy elections who, instead of getting 65%, are going to get more like 55%. And the ones who used to get 55%, a lot of them are going to lose. I mean, and one one thing that's been incredible this week is Democratic fundraising. I mean, you have Democrats I, I, in yeah. in seats that I rate as safe, and maybe I'm wrong to do so, raising, you know, three-quarters of a million dollars. Like, for, let, let me give you an example. There's a, a longtime Republican uh, in New Jersey, Chris Smith, who got elected in 1980. He represents Trenton and, and other parts of that state. Um, Smith has really had easy elections for for much of his career. Um, the guy running against him, a Democrat Democrat named Josh Well, raised almost you know three quarters of a million dollars. And again, this is for a seat that is not really on on anybody's radar or, or most people's radar anyway. Um, so it's going to be a big compet. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of competition on the map. And again, uh, members who may even been used to winning by 10, 15 points, some of them are going to lose too. Right. Some of the big, uh, there's so many House seats, unlike the Senate races, right. it's harder to put a name on them and remember, uh, you know, the, the focus on them because, again, out of, what, 435, right? Right. Uh, but in California, there are several high-profile, like uh, Darrell Ice's old seat, right. uh, Dana Rohrbacher's seat. 
Uh, what and I, I have a particular interest in California. Well, Obviously, these are all well, Bill, uh, as, races in which I was involved at one time. Well, as someone who who I know has been involved in California politics for a long time, it must seem crazy to you that Democrats have a good shot to win these districts in, say, Orange County. We're talking about the possibility of three, four, five seats pick in. Orange County. Well, and and the Democrats already hold 39 of the 53 seat House seats in California, and it's not inconceivable that they could get to, I don't know, 44, 45. <laughs> uh, I mean, we were we were talking before I came, before we started <laughs> that you know Mimi Walters, a conservative Republican in Orange County, uh, who uh, you know when I moved that race from leans Republican to toss up, I had Republicans telling me that I was nuts to do so. She's losing. I mean, she's behind right now. Doesn't mean she's going to lose, but. Uh, she's down. I mean, the L.A. Times came out with some polls this this morning. Mm-hmm. She was down seven points uh, to her Democratic wow. opponent. Uh, the New York Times also found her down, I think, six points in their own polling. Rohrbacher's in a, in a toss-up race. The Daryl Issa seat that's now open, he's retiring. That seat's gone for the Republicans. Uh, so lots of opportunities in, in, in California for Democrats. And again, you, you think, boy, they've already got 39 of 53 seats, and yet there is the capacity for them to grow. And that's because of Trump. Right. Uh, and so it looks like that it's the Central Valley is where the Republicans are holding on to their seats, like, uh, sadly to me, a Devin Nunez. Yeah, although, you know, I, Nunez should be fine, uh, but the, the LA Times poll only found him up eight, and his opponent, a guy named Andrew Jans, has also raised just an outrageous amount of money. So Nunes is another one who's going to he's gonna not do as well as he usually does, but should still be fine. And then the other one that stands out in the Central Valley is David Valdeo, he represents a district that Clinton won by, I think, 15 or 16 points, and yet um, he he remains a very strong um, a, a strong incumbent and seems to be leading. One place where Democrats are lagging are in a few districts where there's a kind of a heavy Hispanic population, sort of a lower turnout districts. Um, those places don't seem to be swinging the way that the kind of higher end uh, wealthy suburban districts are. Northern Virginia has... Uh... Uh, two or three very interesting races. Barbara Comstock, of course. Uh, you know, those of us who live in the district see a lot of TV, right? Uh, because that's that's the only way to get TV in that district. But then uh, Leslie Coburn, or, yeah, run, she's running, running in the district that covers University of Virginia and in, in Virginia Five. There's mm-hmm. Dave Bratt, who of course famously Dave beat Eric Cantor in uh, in 2014. He's running in a, a suburban Richmond seat with and a then, strong challenger. With a str- yeah, very strong challenger, Abigail Spanberger. Um, so Barbara Comstock, it's been this interesting dispute amongst Republicans as to whether she's toast or not, basically. And you have these two big outside groups on the Republican side: National Republican Congressional committee which is sort of the standard old traditional committee and then congressional leadership fund which is a super PAC that uh, has essentially supplanted NRCC as the big force on that side CLF has never thought Comstock had a good chance to win NRCC has a giant ad reservation there polling suggests that Comstock is losing um, but so there's this again there's this dispute on the Republican side as to how vulnerable she truly is I think she's an underdog at this point Comstock Meaning, M- meaning, meaning that I don't. I, I think, yeah, I think huh. Jennifer Wexton, the Democrat, is favored in that seat now. Um, right. There was a new poll from um, uh, Christopher Newport University. They had um, they had Wexton up seven. The Democrat uh, Monmouth had another poll this week. Uh, the Democrat was up six points. So that's a good place to be. And I mean, if you're an incumbent in the low 40s in a district that probably isn't favorable to your party. 
Yeah. That's a bad place to be. I mean, that's the, that's a position where like Mimi Walters is in too. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we're looking at the House with a reasonably good chance for Democrats to take it back, is there any chance Democrats could take back the Senate as well? Uh, there is, although I struggle with it because I I just let me let me let really oversimplify things here. Okay, so obviously there are a bunch of competitive Senate races, a lot of them taking place in dark red states. Yeah. Um, the Democrats need to win 28 of the 35 Senate seats being contested this year. They already hold 26 of the 35, which is a lot to hold on a single map. Yeah, they have that, to hold those and and, pick up and get two. two more. So 28 of 35. That means they'd have to win 80 percent of all the Senate seats being contested this year. In the history of Senate popular elections, which goes back about 100 years to the Progressive Era. One party has won 80% or more of the Senate seats on a single map only twice, huh. 1932 and 1964. And we know those were huge Democratic years, FDR's first election yeah, and, and LBJ's, LBJ's first, LBJ's, first right. election, total wave years. So it's not impossible, but historically it's uh, it's very difficult. And another way to look at it is that um, there are three seats in particular that the Democrats need to win at least one, Okay. North Dakota, which is where Heidi Heitkamp is running, she's clearly the most endangered Democratic incumbent. She's there was a Fox News had a poll out last night that showing her down a dozen points. Whoa. I don't, I don't believe that. Although I've seen other polls with her down that much, so she's she's behind for mm-hmm. sure. Tennessee Democrats would need to win, you know, again one of these three. North Dakota, Tennessee, open seat. Phil Bredesen, Democratic candidate, is strong, but Tennessee is a blood-red state these days. And then the third one would be Texas, where, of course, that's probably the most covered Senate race in the whole country. Uh, but I think Ted Cruz is still leading. So the point is, is that they need one of those. They three. need one of those three, and if they don't, they can't. They really can't do it unless they win like Mississippi or something, which is going to go to a runoff. Um, and that even assumes that. You know, Claire McCaskill wins in Missouri, which is far from a slam dunk, or Joe Donnelly wins in Indiana, and also the Democrats were to pick up uh, Nevada and Arizona. And so, again, they sent, the Democrats essentially have to sweep or sweep all but one or two of the most competitive races, which I, I just think is hard. Arizona and Nevada, however, do look... I think... I. I potentially good they're both very close yeah uh, i mean i think they're certainly both winnable for the democrats but i do think that um i guess nevada probably would 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 come home in the end for the democrats by a few points i kind of say feel the same way about florida by the way which is another marquee uh, yeah, race I get to florida, um, but, but then which, and then arizona arizona cinema has like a, a very small lead yeah i mean it's uh, to me the idea that there'd be a chance in Arizona is almost unthinkable because right. Arizona's so well, red. It's, it's, but it, Nevada's been get, getting more and more purple, if not purple blue, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, Nevada. Nevada seems to me again very similar to Florida in that their their states were sort of conflicting demo, conflicting political demographic patterns to the point where they seem like basically kind of fifty fifty states. And Arizona's kind of trending that way too. Right. Uh, now I mentioned just before you came in, you probably heard New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, there was some thought that Menendez, with his legal problems, uh, might be in trouble. Um, the latest Quinnipiac poll shows him up 11 points. Yeah, and others have other polls have been less bullish on him. I still think he should be okay, uh, but, you know, he's, he's a weak incumbent. Uh, I do think that, you know, New Jersey is one of the few kind of machine political states that we have left in the country. Right. Um, there's just lots of ways in which sort of the old guard is, is favored <laughs> in terms of the electoral rules. 
Um, like, for instance, in primaries in New Jersey, the, the county parties determine which name goes first. You know, most states, they alternate the names on the ballot. Um, but it's just one little way that, that the preferred you know, machine candidates get favored. Uh, I think Democrats should have just cut Menendez loose and ran somebody else, and they would be totally fine. As it stands, Menendez is probably still going to win, I think. Right. Uh, New Jersey politics is unique. Uh, yeah. I ran um, a, a Jerry Brown presidential primary in New Jersey, uh, which Jerry won. Um, and I was told that uh, by the party boss in southern New Jersey, uh, don't even bother to come down here because... Uh, we're going to deliver that for you, and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> right. And then I was told by the party boss in Hudson County, keep your people out of Hudson County. I said, we can't do that. It's the most popular, populous <laughs> county in the state. Right. And he says, I'm telling you, stay the hell out of Hudson County. <laughs> it's yours. You're going to get Hudson County. So, right. And by the way, they both delivered. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of politics, man, I love. <laughs> that machine, people make the promises, and then they deliver. The right. machine politics. <laughs> right. right. Matter, but... Um, Florida, you mentioned Florida, uh, you know, let's, let's just be honest, Bill Nelson, great guy, but not the greatest candidate. Uh, I think is Andrew Gillum going to save his, I think that's fair to say, you know, what's interesting is that there was a while after the primary where Andrew Gillum, the democratic gubernatorial candidate was running like clearly better than Nelson. Now it seems like they've kind of come into alignment and that both Gillum and Nelson, Nelson have kind of very small leads. And that makes sense to me. I mean, I don't know how you could vote for Andrew Gillum and Rick Scott or Bill Nelson and Ron DeSantis. I mean, there there will be a handful of people who do that. But um, generally speaking, I think that, that, you know, both races are toss ups. Gillum and Nelson probably have tiny leads in both right now. And uh, it's going to be interesting because this really does define kind of where Florida is heading. Right. Right. Yeah. And and certainly. So you had Ron DeSantis. Right. Total Trumper. Mm hmm. And Rick Scott, the, the you know billionaire, and right. can spend as much anything that he wants to w- win that Senate seat. But it's, uh, to me, it's a question of where Florida is going. And, well, and 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 Gillum, like Nelson, is very much in the tradition of the kinds of statewide Democrats that win there. And of course, Nelson himself has, yeah. has had a very successful career. Uh, you know, in Nelson isn't necessarily a. a you know, he's certainly not like an old line Southern conservative, um, but he's also not like a total far, you know, far left person. Gillum kind of is. I mean, Gillum is a, a, a very left wing candidate and, you know, an African-American, very left wing potential governor of Florida. That would be that would be something a lot different than what we're used to. Right. Uh, have you uh, I'm sure you have other uh, other other. other uh... Don't you think? I think we've touched on the biggest Senate races. Um, you know, we, we didn't mention like West Virginia and Montana. I think that that uh, yeah, the, uh, Tess, I think the I Tester mean, race. Manchin, come on, Joe Manchin's solid. Manchin huh? should be okay. Tester, uh, I think he's leading, but but only by a little bit. Um, so that's that's one to watch. Joe and, you know, Donnelly in Indiana. Uh, I think he's I think he's doing okay. I mean, it's you know it, his his lead is very marginal, uh, but uh, I think he's I think he's doing okay. Okay, so then we get you mentioned Andrew Gillum. That that's yeah. one of the most exciting stuff. Oh, Texas, right? Texas. Uh, I think I think Cruz is leading, probably not by. I, I, let's put it this way: Clinton lost Texas by nine points. It's actually a pretty good showing for a Democrat. Um, I'd be surprised if if O'Rourke lost by that amount. I think O'Rourke is, is going to keep it closer than that. Now, I, but, and I know but, the Republicans are very worried about the immense resources that O'Rourke has at, at, yeah. at to, to 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 bring to bear here. Could O'Rourke win? 
Yes, uh, yes. I would. I would rather. I would rather be Cruz though in that state. Okay. I think. I think okay. it's probably like a four or five point race at this uh, point. Other governors' races that are interesting. Uh, in you mentioned we so we talked about Florida. There's about a minute left, but um, Georgia. Stacey Georgia Abrams and yeah. Marilyn Vangelis. We just, uh, I think Larry Hogan, the Republican in Maryland, should be okay. I we just moved uh, uh, Georgia to toss up with the expectation that it'll go to runoff. Um, so Whoa. that would be in that would be in December. Um, the most important place in has, the governor's race is safe Republican. Oh, uh, we it, it leans Republican, so we thought it was competitive, but we see it as a true toss up now. Um, and there are a lot of contradictory numbers from in that race. Key place to watch in the governor's race is the Midwest. There are six big races there. The Democrats currently control only one in Minnesota. The Democrats could potentially sweep all the Northwest, the Midwest governorships. There are six up. There are really? six up. Michigan and Illinois, they look good to pick up. Ohio's yeah. a total toss-up. Iowa's a total toss-up. Scott Walker is probably behind in Wisconsin, yes. but that's still yeah. a toss-up, too. Yeah. That would be huge. Well, and, and redist- it's very important for redistricting because the governors yeah. and, and Republicans had great maps in all those states. Where can people follow you? Center for CenterforPolitics.org backslash Crystal Ball. Okay. And CenterforPolitics.org we'll be- backslash Crystal Ball. Kyle Kondik, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Bill. All right. We'll come back with Matt Laszlo. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from the Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, We put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, that phony FBI report has already been given to the United States Senate. Yeah, they'll take about five minutes today to look at it, and then they're going to vote. Ah, told you this whole thing is a sham. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, October 4. And this is the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it. Thanks so much for joining us as we reach out to you all across this great land of ours on radio, on television, and online. With all the news of the day, uh, we'll tell you what's going on. You you tell us what you think about it all. On many fronts, uh, still people can't believe uh, (laughs) all the cheating that the Donald Trump family has done over the years, starting with their father on their taxes and how they built up this real estate empire and lied about it and then just siphoned all kinds of money to Donnie Jr. Uh, How do you like that? $413 million you got from your dad, a little more than I got from my father. I don't know about you. Uh, We're taking a look at that. Plus, yes, the phony FBI report is in. They didn't even take a week. They didn't talk to, they talked to maybe a total of five people and they're just giving a little uh, green light to the uh, Senate, uh, those who are still on the fence, maybe to go ahead and vote for this guy. 
We'll make our way through all of the uh, news of the day today with the help of, uh, for this next half hour, anyhow, the help of our good friend from Rolling Stone and Public Radio, Matt Laszlo. Hello, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me back. What are you doing? Everything good? Living, no. the, living the dream? <laughs> Everything's no. terrible. That's right. Don't just... ask political reporters how they're doing these days. If anybody says, yes, everything's good, then you know they're lying. Yeah, exactly. I just learned from you in the intro that it's actually Thursday. <laughs> that is shocking breaking news. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Who knew? And you're not going to be able to stop working this week on Friday either because it's going to continue into the weekend. You know that. At any rate, we've got lots to talk about and want to hear from you on Twitter at BP Show. But first... This Peter. is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, the Centers for Disease Control uh, and, uh, prevent, and pre- Prevention put out a very interesting study yesterday. They took a look at how we eat fast food. They surveyed 10,000 adults. Fast food. Fast, fast food. Fast food. Well, yes, we eat it we fast. We eat it fast. That's but how, my boy. But how much of it we consume. Oh, okay. They, they surveyed 10,000 adults over the course of four years and found out, this number is shocking to me, one in three American adults eat fast food every day. No. Whoa. Every day. That's no. about that's that's what they found. They took a look. They interviewed like I said 10,000 people over the course of 4 years. How often do you eat fast food? 1 in 3 so that they eat fast food every single day. About 85 million people. They point out of course that uh you know, if you're an adult eating fast food and you have kids, they're probably eating fast food too and also eating fast food which is obviously very high in calories, salt, sugar, preservatives that can lead to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and lots of other health problems. Every single day. Every single day. I'm just going to say maybe not even once a week for me. Oh, no. No, no, maybe, I don't know. I'm single, so once a week for me at least. I mean, you know, like, I've got kids. I'd say once a week we get some sort of, some version of fast food. It's never like, yeah. you know, a McDonald's cheeseburger or anything like that. But well, according to that study, one of us is lying, so it's yeah. probably me. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, probably, I'm probably like once or twice a day. <laughs> That's right. Dang it. Fair, yeah. Uh, this, this, by the way, there was another study done, also health-related. Turns out that in the last six years, 259 people have died by trying to take a selfie. If you're standing too close to the edge of a scenic cliff oh, or at the top God. of a waterfall and you feel like you have to stop to take a selfie, people are dying. People are dying. 259 people have died worldwide while trying to take selfies. Don't do it, people. Don't do it. You're not no. that good looking. Live in the moment. Yeah. You can see walking into traffic, right? Yeah. Walking off a cliff or something like that. Oh, man. Not good. <laughs> no. This is the Bill Press Show. The fix is in. Uh, the phony FBI report already. They, they didn't take a week. Hell no, they weren't given a week. Uh, they wanted to rush this thing through, and uh, the FBI report is now in the hands of the Senate. They're going to get 24 hours to review it, then they're going to vote, and they just want to get it over with before we find out the truth about Brett Kavanaugh. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Thursday, yes, Thursday, October 4, 
It is the Bill Press Show booming out to you from our, our Capitol studio right here on Capitol Hill and reaching you all around, all around this, uh, all across this great country and around the globe with the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all on Twitter uh, at, at BP Show, at BP Show. In studio with us from Rolling Stone Public Radio and all kinds of good places, Matt Laszlo, our good friend, we, um, you know, we've heard a lot about uh, all these uh, drinking games these days, uh, Devil's Triangle and all the rest. We've been looking for the uh, leading expert on all of those drinking <laughs> games. Uh, and we find uh, Matt Laszlo. He's the one to come in to talk about it all, tell us all about it. I my Hello, coffee. Matt. Your reputation precedes you. I forgot my JMO. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a failure. <laughs> What's going on? Everything good? Oh, surviving. Well, the man of the hour, um, it seems to be Jeff Flake, who um, hmm. triggered this supplemental FBI report for what it's worth, and uh, certainly has his eye on 2020. He's walking out of the Senate, and now uh, the future of the Supreme Court of the United States could very well depend on him, because I think... If he votes no, then Manchin might follow him and Susan Collins and the others. If he votes yes, I think the others could follow him too. So, And you have just done a big profile on Jeff Like, What did you find out about him? Well, What's to, your read? To, well, to the news of the day, I think he put himself into this lose-lose. Because if he wants, he obviously is eyeing a potential White House bid, either in a Republican primary against Trump or as an independent. Um and if he votes against Kavanaugh now, the entire Republican base, it will never win them over. He'll look like Judas. Um, but then independent women, if he votes for him, will never throw their lot in with him. So he set himself up. And then the high drama of last week, uh, last Friday, you have this high drama. He puts the hearing on hold and delays the vote for a week. What did we get out of that? Absolutely nothing. Now, there's one copy of this stupid report, and uh, yeah. senators have to go in there one at a time. The public's not going to really see it. It will leak out, but we didn't get anything. But No uh, one's going to be... Yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects of yeah. this where I think you're absolutely right. Let's take for the fact that this was supposed to be a week. It's not a week. They yeah. didn't start till at the earliest last Saturday. Yeah. And it was delivered last night, Wednesday night. Okay, number one. Number two, they were supposed to find out, talk to all the people, as many people as they could, to find out who's telling the truth. Uh, they talked to, with the last count I saw, five people. Yeah. Five. And there were dozens of people at Yale, former classmates Yale and Georgetown Prep and blah, 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 right, who um, it seem, it seems they to didn't me. talk to. Would not, not, would not talk to. Yeah. In, they didn't talk to, hello, the chief accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, yeah. who said in her testimony, the FBI could really help me hmm. with my memory by cleaning up a few details, like hmm. when did he work at that Safeway out in Potomac, right? Yeah. Didn't talk to her. Didn't talk to her. It seems like the nation's press corps did a better job vetting Kavanaugh than the FBI did. And FBI, I think, is great. Uh, they have their flaws, but they're great. They just were so constrained, either by time or initial White House constraints, which is sad. Because now in the press, you're hearing all these yeah. former classmates and stuff talk. Yeah. Why aren't they talking to the FBI? Yeah. They 
what I think is really sad is that they let themselves be constrained. I yeah. mean, uh, I really think this is the time for Christopher Ray to stand up and say, whoa, 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 no, we're not a political errand boy here. Hmm. You want us to do an investigation? We'll do it. But we do investigations yeah. our way, in our time frame, and we'll talk to whomever we, you know, the old famous phrase, I saw Pete Williams on NBC News had a little montage of FBI directors at different on different operations, investigations around the country, and the phrase they always use, we will leave no stone unturned. Yeah. They repeat it over and over. Well, not in this case. And part of this... They, five stones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All the other stones? They say, oh, no, no, we're not allowed to touch that one, uh-uh, because Don McGahn at the White House said, mm-mm, can't talk to her. And the weirdest thing about this is McConnell. McConnell's oh, legacy... Weirdest. But why is he hammering this through? This, he's been in the Senate a long time. The Senate's a slow, methodical body, according to the Constitution, at least the Senate of yesteryears. So now, my biggest fear in all this, and this is my professor cap, we're going to have the erosion of trust in the Supreme Court, which we already have with all these 5-4 decisions. But now we're going to have two sitting justices, if Kavanaugh is rammed through, which it looks like he is, Clarence Thomas and Kavanaugh, who are just going to be tainted for life. Um why erode and, the trust in this institution that's a vital constitutional check? And who taint the court for life. Yeah. And it's just sad. There's no rush here. And McConnell, from that list he was given from the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, there are a number of justices on there who have the same conservative street cred as homeboy Kavanaugh has without the taint. Uh, who was that lady? Amy? Yeah. Whatever. Put her, she's up in a week or two, Democrats will, been... will moan and groan and all that. But you have, they'll vote the same, basically, except maybe on uh, executive power and all that good well, stuff. Just I had that. But first of all, like, look, yeah. look at Gorsuch. As conservatives as he is, there was no great controversy yeah. over there. Democrats did their due diligence, but they didn't have the votes. No, the the reason I think that um, that... Kavanaugh is there as opposed to any of these others is because in addition to having all the street creds for among conservatives on all the other issues, he brings the bonus of a president is above the law, in effect above yeah. the law, which Donald Trump, a vote and a, an opinion Donald Trump may need to save his ass a year from now or six months from now, depending on what Robert Mueller does. And the other sad, sad thing about this is the court is not a political institution. And sadly, a lot of the American public now views the court as if it's a political body as Congress is. Well, now you have Kavanaugh sitting there yelling in the faces of progressive Democrats, <clears throat> just being so rude. And so now you have in the New York Times more than 100 professors saying, and I think the number was even higher no, than that. No, no, 650. And, really? Oh, yeah, pardon me. Letters signed by 650 law professors. Across say, the ideological yeah, spectrum. Right. Asking Pardon me, the Senate to reject Brett Kavanaugh. Purely, purely based on how he performed, because he made himself a partisan actor. And the last thing this nation needs is to have another partisan institution, namely the courts, which are becoming very partisan. And this is going to be the cherry on top. And this is going to be McConnell's legacy, right. the erosion of the Senate as seen through the Kavanaugh hearing. And, and the courts packed with extreme right-wingers at the appellate level, the the, you know, the district, district courts, yeah. uh, and the Supreme Court. And that's what a lot of people miss. Um, Mitch McConnell has been 
astute and cunning, and he's really remade the nascent judiciary in the image of the Federalist Society, not even Donald Trump. I, mm-hmm. I want to remind listeners that Donald Trump is a liberal Democrat from New York City. He's just playing a conservative Republican on TV. <laughs> and we'll see if that changes if Democrats win control of one uh, chamber of Congress. But he's a narcissist. And the only people he can find to like him are the far right wing conservatives. Trump doesn't care about a legacy, a conservative legacy. McConnell right. does. Yeah. Oh, and McConnell yeah. is He's winning. Delivering. Yeah. Uh, I want to come back to Flake here for a second. So what is Flake's, uh, my impression of him is um, he's a wannabe independent uh, Republican, but he doesn't have the backbone to do it. I mean, so, I mean, he's either, he's either got to be an anti, not anti, yeah, like a never Trumper or a certainly a non-Trumper. Or not, but he can't seem to to make that leap. You know, he he's critical of Trump, and then he turns around and and votes for everything that Trump wants. He votes with him lockstep on basically everything. Yeah, um, he's opposed. I'm telling one... you, as soon as <clears throat> I'm sure as I sit here right now, yeah. Jeff Flake is going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, I bet you the ranch on that. And it's interesting. So what he's exploring and what I go Sorry. through in this piece for um, Medium is uh, I talked to Bill Crystal of Weekly Standard, a prominent Never Trumper, <laughs> him and um, Jennifer Horn, the former uh, chair of the New Hampshire Republican Party. The two of them are really looking for someone to potentially uh, primary Mr. Trump. So they're floating names around like Jeff Flake, maybe Ben Sass, who just tweets a big game, but is in lockstep with Trump on everything else, or maybe a former governor or a governor Kasich from Ohio. So <clears throat> Flake, they're, they're pushing him. They're talking to him uh, about challenging Trump. If you look at his voting record, like you were saying, he's lockstep with Trump on everything. The only, except tariffs and immigration. Um, but Flake is very out of touch with his party on immigration. <laughs> so all he has uh, differentiating him is temperament. And guess what? Temperament doesn't sell. Trump, when he goes out on that stage in uh, Mississippi and he mocks this poor lady, who uh, Dr. Ford, who shared this story that she didn't want to be public with, um, you know, she bears her soul in front of millions and he mocks her and he gets cheers. That's the Republican Party. So Flake is, and in this piece, I was the first to uh, get Flake to admit this, he does. Uh, he tells me he thinks about it every day, leaving the Republican Party. He can't. And this would be a time where you he interv- could. You interviewed him for this piece? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he tells and me he's, he thinks He told about, you he thinks every day about leaving the Republican Party? Yep. Why doesn't he? Well, he says he wants to be a part of the conversation. He wants to okay. then, have a family dialogue within the party. Um, then why how's, doesn't how's he, that going? Yeah, we're right. Why doesn't he ta- again? Why doesn't he take a stand? You know, um, the uh, you mentioned Kasich. Yeah. I mean, of the three that you mentioned, I think the one, the only one who would have the backbone to actually challenge Donald Trump in a primary would be John Kasich. And there would be differences in, I mean, he's governor and such. I don't know his record as well as I know Flake and Sasses. Um, but there's differences there, not only temperament, but also policy-wise. With Flake, he's just been a rubber stamp for Trump. Um, that's because Flake, he would be offended uh, if we called him a moderate. He, he's not a moderate. He's 
just wants the party to get back to its conservative roots. One of the funny things about this piece, I talked to at least 20... And 20 by the way, this piece, is, is it Rolling Stone? No, this one's in Medium. Medium commissioned medium. me to okay. do a so it's deep dive on him. Medium, I'm just if people want to read the whole article, it's medium.com. Yep. Right, medium.com. Uh, and the title. We'll tweet a link out to it as well. The cool. Uh, that'd be good. Thank you. Here. Jeff Flake's future is very, very complicated. Uh, but I'll so, say. Yeah. So Flake wrote this big book. Uh, oh yeah. Conscious of a conservative. And I talked to twenty of his Republican senators. Corker, who stood up to Trump. Sass. Not a single one of them's read it. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I had my intern email all the other uh, thirty offices. Not a single Republican office got back to us. So I don't even know if Flake has an audience anymore, um, but he's got a vote. Uh, he's got a big vote. He said something, uh, Peter, remember very telling a couple of days ago um, about whether or not he would have called for this investigation. I didn't even think we, we just, I don't know that we even had the sound, but he said, there was a, would he have called for this investigation if he were running for re-election, and he said no. Huh. Now, which really, I mean, what does he? What does he believe in, and how much courage does he really have? Is I it, do have the audio. This was on 60 yeah, Minutes, the yeah. big thing that he did over the weekend. Senator Flake, you've announced that you're not running for re-election, and I wonder, could you have done this if you were running for no. re-election? <laughs> no, <laughs> not a chance. Not a chance. No. See, but that's such a. So, <clears throat> he couldn't and he wouldn't have done if he were running for election because he's thinking in such a small minded way because what yeah. he's saying is I couldn't have won a Republican primary in Arizona if I had done that. Well, there's two different ideas of the, no I, I the notion of a I even dispute that, by the way. I exactly. Think, I mean, I think people appreciate politicians who take some make some tough decisions, even if they don't agree with them. Have a spine. And just because you're a Republican doesn't mean you're constitutionally mandated to be a rubber stamp for a Republican president. No, Hello, the Constitution you. tells you to stand up to a Republican. And just like under Obama, Democrats would have done better, many would argue, if they would have stood up to him a little bit more. Um, maybe we wouldn't have had such a big backlash in 2010 with the Tea Party mm -hmm. wave. So this is where both parties are just stuck in this stupid ideological camp that really neuters themselves. You're a senator for six years because the nation's founders wanted to give you space to think on your own. Um, but now they just think in lockstep with party. And Flake, why not go out with a bang? Lose your primary and become a martyr for a cause. Now he's just everyone else. No. My prediction is uh, he will vote yes on Kavanaugh. He will disappear into the sunset. And he may... You know, people may always be writing articles about he may challenge Trump in 2020, but he won't have the balls to do it. Well, we're going to see him as an MSNBC really? analyst. <laughs> He's in talks with, yeah, that's his future. <laughs> no one's buying his books. Uh, <laughs> but I doubt he'll get a job on Fox. So it's either, <laughs> I'll tell you, what, or CNN will pick him up. Yeah, Fox be... always needs their one token liberal. <laughs> <laughs> liberal in name only. <laughs> Lino. You know what? You're probably right. I mean, I just saw... CNN's still got Rick Santorum on why, <laughs> as a contributor. Why? Who cares that guy's what walking Rick through. Santorum says right. about any classic perennial loser? That's the real Rick play. Santorum. I mean, total, total loser. And we're supposed to 
uh, care what he says about anything. That's the real play. Run for president because it's good for business. Right. Jeff Flake is flirting with this idea of running for president, which means he's going to get more money when he gets hired by CNN or MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Man, this is a nice, depressing morning conversation, guys. the Republic. I think we beat up on uh, on, on Jeff Flake uh, uh, long enough here, but before we move, but so, so just your take. Uh, what's your read on the the Kavanaugh thing? How it's going to play out? We'll see. Um, no, I don't want that answer. Well, there's three. Uh, Donald Trump is president, so I got out of the prediction game. <laughs> I put my foot in my mouth enough on that one. Have, yeah. yeah. We'll see. Um, unless we hear something very damning or a potential smoking gun in this report, both sides really coalesce. I don't. And in this town right now, a day is 40 news cycles. So Trump's lewd, terrible remarks in Mississippi from what, two days ago? That's yesterday's news. Four days ago's news. Um,. However you say that. Or as uh, Sarah <laughs> Old news. Sanders said, all he was doing uh, was stating the facts. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, Supreme Leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Matt, when we think about you here at the Bill Press Show, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we this could think, go a lot of ways. We think about pot. <laughs> Woo-woo. You, yes. Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> um, meaning only in the sense of the the important um, efforts around the country to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. I do cover drug policy. To, which you do cover drug policy, which seems to be really just chugging right along, right? I mean. No, and it's fascinating. I'm actually I'm hitting the trail a little bit starting tomorrow. Going to stop in New Jersey and uh, Massachusetts and talk to some lawmakers in these states. Didn't Vermont become the first state Vermont's now legal but to do through through the legislature right not by initiative yep and um no so I've been talking to party leaders especially on the Democratic side and there's this rift so obviously a lot of people a lot of Democrats are running um saying that they're not going to vote for Pelosi to be speaker um well I talked to Pelosi Hoyer Clyburn the number two three or number one two three Senate or uh, House Democratic leaders, none of them said marijuana is a big part of their agenda. And I pressed them on it. Uh, what about as a part of criminal justice reform? What about as a part of Black Lives Matter? And they said, oh, not that big of a deal. Well, then I talked to Beto O'Rourke running in Texas, uh, Ro Khanna um, out in Silicon Valley. And they really disagree with that strongly. Um, so you're kind of seeing this internal Democratic debate between the old guard, these three septuagenarians, uh, including Schumer, whose office has struggled getting back to me on whether he would actually bring marijuana legislation up for a vote if he becomes leader. Um, because you have these old people running against it, where if you look at polls, the American public, uh, Republicans and uh, alt-righters, marijuana polls, 80-some-odd percent. And uh, I was talking to one Democrat last night, Earl Blumenauer from Oregon. Oh, well, wait, He's, no, wait. Earl Blumenauer. No. Yeah. I mean, he is, uh, if he's not chair, he's yeah. one of the leaders of the pot caucus. He's got a list. Cannabis caucus, they call he, it. He's got a list of 82 um, lawmakers running, and he's going to help them uh, who are pro-marijuana. Some of them are Republicans, but he says in the states, if you look, uh, Hillary versus Trump, a few of those states, Wisconsin, or no, any state where marijuana was on the ballot in 16, um, 
got uh, more votes than Hillary and Trump. Hmm. Marijuana is more popular than both of them. And party leaders on both sides of the aisle uh, don't seem to have gotten that message. Well, isn't it sort of um, almost a waste? not like you, Bill. They're not hip. (laughs) (laughs) Well, few people are. (laughs) Um, But unlike, I mean, why focus on the... uh, on the on the Congress, we know the Congress is going to be a long time before the Congress. The action mm-hmm. is at the states. Oh yeah, in the states, right? It's moving like mean, wildfire. Yeah, this and uh, gay marriage to the greatest lobbying movements that completely bypassed Washington and actually gun rights as well. Or pardon me, gun control. You've now seen Republican governors uh, in Vermont, uh, Nevada, and Florida. Uh, Republican governors sign gun control legislation. Guess what? The NRA wholly owns uh, the Congress of the United States. But we're seeing movement. When you have 100 people slaughtered at a outdoor concert just, in Nevada. Just a year ago. Hundreds, two, day, two days yeah, a year ago. Hundreds yeah. and hundreds wounded. Uh, it moves you in a way that the people in these marble halls of the Capitol, I don't know how they're not moved by it, but it's gross. Uh, um, I saw this the other day. That I think it's seven states actually have banned bump stocks now. Yep. Uh, the United States Congress, which, of course, was going to do so right away, everybody said, oh, yep. this is something we could agree on. It still hasn't done anything. Nope. Won't no. even take it up. Like, yeah. Minimal increase in background checks. They might have slid that in. Cornyn might have slid that in. But they don't want debate on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gross. Yeah. And sadly, if Democrats win... I don't see much changing on but, that. The well, Democratic Party has changed on guns since But it wasn't that long ago uh, that um, we were tracking the movement of both uh, marriage equality, same-sex marriage, and uh, legal recreational use of marijuana. Yeah. And I thought it was a race as to which one would go over the finish line first. Yeah. But I thought pot would, but no, it was same-sex marriage with the help of the Supreme Court, but also yeah. with the help of a lot of states, a lot of governors. Is there, thank God, it's nationwide now. All 50 states recognize it. So what do we have, about nine or ten states so far that have done so? Recreational marijuana use is now legal in nine and the District of Columbia. Right. After this election, it will probably be about three more, I think. Missouri, Utah, and um, but Mich- that's Michigan. It's red yeah. states as well as blue. Yeah. Right. Well, and now in across America, 46 states have some form of legalized a lot of that cbd so it's about 31 states have medicinal including oklahoma oklahoma voters agreed to that in their primary this year this is no longer a partisan issue medicinal is so 20th century yeah i mean it's just the idea that that's not automatic for medicinal is just ridiculous and we have the opioid crisis raging yeah why not give these people a chance i talked to one veteran who uh could get fired he works for the federal government he got both of his legs blown off in Afghanistan, and uh, he said he would rather go through that again, getting blown up again, than to go through withdrawal from OxyContin. And I asked him again. I said, do you really mean that? And he said it again. He goes, yes. And yet he risks losing his federal job for smoking because he says he can't function at his job without smoking. What's, so damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. What's driving uh, the move on recreational uh, use of marijuana. Is it the revenue that states have reaped? Uh, Colorado, Washington State, Oregon, Not really. And I mean, some of that money does go to education and stuff. It's a lot of money. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, and it's going to be a multi-billion dollar industry. Actually, it already is a multi-billion dollar industry. But I think a lot of it, like you were saying before, it's voter driven. People don't care. 
And we're Americans. We have this strong libertarian streak. And then in spots like the District of Columbia, where we are, you had a lot of older African Americans, which is a very conservative population, even though they vote Democratic. They voted for it because they're tired of seeing their black kids thrown in jail and their whole lives ruined. And then it ruins their whole community's lives Mm -hmm. for this stupid thing that everyone does at the country club anyway. Yeah, right. It's real. It really has changed. You know, I mean, I walk around here, Washington, D.C., and it's just not unusual to smell to, to smell pot and walk by a couple of guys smoking on the corner. OK, San Francisco, you yeah. can get high walking just down, walking down Market <laughs> Street in San Francisco without having your own joint at all. Oh, it's amazing. So, uh, well, there you are. You're out in the you're out in the forefront of a lot of good stuff here, dude. Thanks so much for uh, coming in. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, so uh, you've got to tackle everybody. It's going to be crazy for the next couple of days on oh, the yeah. Kavanaugh thing with a vote. Uh, you can follow Matt at rollingstone.com. That's what we got down here. Is that right? That works. Or on Twitter, at Matt Laszlo. On Twitter, at Matt Laszlo. And we're going to tweet out uh, the link to medium.com and the article on Jeff Flake as well. And from uh, the great Huff Post, Jen Bendery, our good friend, will be joining us next year Woo-hoo. on the Bill Press Show. Who is right. Uh, she's been talking about all the lies Brett Kavanaugh has told. Not as many lies as Donald Trump has told, but uh, close. So a uh, quick break, and we'll be right back on this Thursday, October 4. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Thursday, October 4, wrapping up, actually. Um, and we are coming to you live, as always, from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, Brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW under the president of Mark Perone, uh, under the leadership of Mark Perone, uh, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families, all those good men and women uh, that uh, take such good care of us at our retail grocery stores across the country, the UFCW. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Their website is ufcw.org. On the web is where you find, at BillPressShow.com, the latest on my book, How to Get Your Signed Copy of Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and maybe one to keep him. Uh, What's really fun is not only will you find out, you go to BillPressShow.com, other than your local independent bookstore or Amazon.com and all those other places where you buy books. but you can get a signed copy through our website, and you can add your own reasons, because I admit there are a lot more than 100 reasons, so keep adding reasons. A lot of you already have. Go to BillPressShow.com to add your reasons for getting rid of Donald Trump. And say hello with me to our good friend from HuffPost, Jen Bendery, who covers the Congress and the White House for HuffPost and has been doing a lot of work on the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. Hello, Jen. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? I'm all right. What's going on? So this schedule is just insane that they've adopted. First of all, just trying to rush this nomination through uh, from the beginning. But then Jeff Flake put a minor little speed bump in last Friday by saying he couldn't vote on the floor, even though he voted to get him out of committee, right? Couldn't vote on the floor until we had a special FBI investigation that was going to last a whole week. (laughs) Didn't last that long, did it? It didn't last a full week, and it was uh, reportedly limited in scope. So the FBI totally was given par- parameters on what it could look into and what it could not. So, By the White House? 
Yes, but at the direction of the Senate, uh, is my yeah, understanding. Right, yeah. So what we're seeing now is it's been, I think, five days, maybe six days? Well, they started Saturday. Okay, yeah. so it's been five days. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, four days, and they re- completed the report yesterday and gave it to the Senate last night. Right, so what's happening now is there's a there's one copy of this report, and it is put in a room, a secure room in the Senate, and the way they're doing this is really weird. They're letting Republicans and top Republican staff come in and look at the report, this one copy, in the room from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., they're letting Democrats and Democratic top staff come in and look at it. And then from nine, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., it's going back to Republicans being able to look at this report. And then from 11 a.m. to noon, Democrats can go back in and look at this one report. So it's this very weird alternating uh, system of looking at one copy of this FBI report that was limited in scope. How long is it? Do we know? Oh, no, I I don't know. But it's just important to keep in mind that it was limited in scope and they were given, (laughs) they spent... I four days on it, maybe five, and they didn't interview a lot of people who were trying, who put themselves out there to be interviewed, who knew Brett Kavanaugh and who had something to offer to the investigation. A lot of them are complaining that they reached out and they were not contacted by the FBI. So there's some yeah. variables here that that uh, certainly Democrats have problems with, and I think it's fair to say, as an objective observer, if you can step back and just look at the process, it's a pretty restrictive uh, FBI probe that, that the FBI has allowed, that Republicans have allowed. Right. So, in fact, so far as we know, and uh, Peter Alexander from NBC News had a good report on this last night. So they did interview um, Mark Judge, uh, Leland Kaiser, and P.J. Smith, the other two people that Christine Blasey Ford said were there. Matt Judge, the guy allegedly in the bedroom with her and Brett Kavanaugh. And Deborah Ramirez, the woman from Yale, with her account of the his, uh, drunken Brett Kavanaugh, and one other high school classmate. So that's one, two, three, four, five people max. Did not interview Dr. Christine Ford, even though she wanted to be interviewed. Uh, dozens of classmates from Yale and, and this guy from North Carolina and others around the country who asked to be interviewed, and the FBI said, no, we don't have permission to interview you. Right. So it's it's less about the FBI, perhaps, <laughs> wanting to expand its interview and not talking to people. It's more about the directive they were given on who they could interview. So that's where we are now. Um, <clears throat> and, and one copy? There's one copy of a report, which is also bizarre. I mean, why not at least make two? One for and each one for party, each party, maybe, or you know, or I mean, or one for every senator, which one I, maybe a hundred, one I, for every senator. I can understand uh, the reason not to do that, which is these are supposed to be kept confidentially, and the more copies there are, the more likelihood of a leak to the press. I hope, which I can understand that, but the fact that they've had they've produced only one copy and then they have to alternate looking at it in a room is very weird. Very, it doesn't seem no, very, very efficient. Also, uh, you know, just as an American, I think if we had um, Dr. Ford and Brett Kavanaugh on national television in front of that committee, not a closed door session, giving their testimony and we were able to hear that and see that and make our own judgment, we ought to be able to read the God. The, pardon me, the damn report. <laughs> Bill. The, 
We should be able to read the report. Well, why, why keep it secret from it, us? In, I mean, to play devil's advocate, when the FBI produces reports in uh, somewhat similar situations for the Senate like this, they are kept private from the public. So it's not like this is the first time the FBI is producing a specific report at the request of the Senate. And then now it's being hidden. They have done in the past. They've done this before where they don't make it public. So that's one piece to this that you could say is consistent. Right. But then there then again, there there's at least one case of the FBI producing a report that did become available to the public when it was a report for the Senate. So there's not exactly like a hard and fast right. way of doing this. And this is certainly a bizarre, unprecedented process we're looking at. Uh, I think it hurts not just the reputation of the Senate. I think it hurts the reputation of the FBI. I mean, I've said this earlier today, repeating myself, but it seems to me this was a time for Christopher Ray to stand up and say, no, 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 we're not a political puppet that just prepares a report that you guys can use to ram this through. If you want an FBI investigation, we're ready to do it. But we do investigations our way. We take our time. We interview anybody we want to talk to that we think we have to talk to. And then we'll release our report. But if you're going to, you know, just use us as a little like a an intern or something, right? No, we're not going to do it. I think that's fair. And I think that it also is I worry about how this is going to reflect on people's perception of the Supreme Court in the end, because it's even total. if even if you you want to get into the he said, she said, if you believe him, you believe her, if you want to get into all that, fine. But in the end, we have. If, if Kavanaugh gets confirmed, we have somebody who will now be on the United States Supreme Court for decades, who we just watched go through this process and uh, unleashed a partisan attack in his confirmation hearing, which is the last thing that a Supreme Court nominee is supposed to do. It's supposed, you know, judicial temperament is a big deal when the Senate weighs a, a Supreme Court nominee. And when you have a nominee in there shouting back at the senators on the committee interrupting them asking them if they've ever blacked out crying screaming yelling um and then uh threatening them threatening them but also um he mentioned the clintons as you know he he brought up the clintons as a reason why people are trying to bring him down and it's he got way too political and that's not even hard to see i mean to go watch that yeah, hearing and yeah. so so I think that when if this guy gets on the Supreme Court, all this, you know, all the allegations aside, if you just watched his performance in that hearing, this is not what an, a judicial nominee of any for any court is supposed to be doing. And I worry that people will have less confidence in the Supreme Court and in justice in this country because of the way that this process has played out. And this guy still gets to be on the court. It just looks bad for the court. It looks bad for the Senate. Um, arguably, it looks better for the FBI because, to your point, the White House or the, the Senate, the Senate and the White House effectively use the FBI for their purposes without any pushback from the FBI that we've seen. So you put it all together and it's not the most reassuring feeling about the way our whole process works in, right. in federal in the federal government. So uh, in my new book, uh, Trump Must Go, n reason number one we should go in my book is he's a pathological liar and i document up until the time of this publication some of the four over 4200 lies it's up higher than that now that the washington post had tracked that trump has told since he became president um he's not the only liar we've seen recently you've documented for huff post some of the lies of brett kavanaugh which go well beyond 
whatever he says about Christine Blasey Ford and their relationship, right? I the, mean, he lied from the beginning. The weird thing about Kavanaugh's performance in that hearing is that he lied about the smallest things that are easy to prove wrong, and he lied throughout the entire hearing. I mean, you can say he misled on some points. He was not entirely truthful on some points. You can use those different characterizations if you don't want to say a lie. But he straight up lied about some things. And yeah. and so we... Little things. My, little things. Like, for example, he... Um, I mean, there's... <laughs> our piece was very long that we did on this. So uh, one thing that I, I think stood out as, as the most alarming was when he said um, that that the four uh, the four people who were allegedly at the party that night when he allegedly sexually assaulted Dr. Ford, um, he repeatedly said in his opening remarks that, that none of those four people, um, that they refuted Dr. Ford's right, right. testimony. And the word refute is key. Here, here's what he says. Okay. Yeah. All four witnesses who are, who are alleged to be at the event said it didn't happen. Okay. He did use in another phrase. He, in another phrase, refute, he used the word refute, refute because yeah. that was the, yes. the verb he used multiple times right. that suggests that they shot down her story. This was how he came out swinging in his, his hearing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, none of those four people, three people who spoke about this, uh, refuted anything. In they fact, they said, said they, they didn't know. They didn't remember. I mean, this is 36 right. years ago. So they said, well, we, we don't remember the details of any of this because... We just don't. It was a long time ago, and so we can't say really either way. And that is very different from using them in your defense to say that they shot down Dr. Ford's testimony. This is very easy to go back and prove that that what Kavanaugh said was not true. But he, as someone who is uh, in line to be on the Supreme Court, where every single word matters, every single nuance of how you talk matters, every argument you make matters, every bit of factual evidence you use matters when you're talking— he straight up misled and arguably lied to the committee about the way that those witnesses characterize things. And so that right there was shocking because it's they'd never refuted Dr. Ford's testimony. In fact, one of those four people issued a statement after she saw Kavanaugh's testimony saying, for the record, we I did not refute Dr. Ford's testimony. In fact, I believe Dr. Ford. Mm-hmm. I said I did not remember the details of that party because it was so long ago. Right. So I can't corroborate either one of your stories, but I still believe Dr. Ford. So that's just one yeah, one I, example of, of something he did that was intentionally misleading and arguably lying to the, the Senate Judiciary Committee and, to defend himself. And he lied about uh, the drinking age at the time. He lied Also easy about, to disprove. Also easy to disprove, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Little things. Little, um, Nick, uh, uh, Nick uh, Christoph in the New York Times this morning, uh, his column, I haven't read the whole column yet, but I noticed three questions, he says, for Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, the first one is, isn't an itsy-bitsy lie still a lie? To your point. It is. Yeah. I mean, and especially, you know, when you're telling an itsy bitsy lie, when you're under oath on camera testifying before the the United States Senate Judiciary Committee to be a a lifetime Supreme Court nominee. Yes. A a little lie is a lie. And and that's just one. I mean, we had like 4000 words in our story of all the lies and, and deceptive comments that Kavanaugh made. And, and again, this is beyond being a Republican or Democrat. If you just want to watch a Supreme Court nominee testify under oath about why he belongs on the court and answering questions, this 
you can't lie like you and you can't become partisan and it it's it was plain for anyone to see that was not a good performance. You know, one of the things that I keep coming back to is Republicans are getting all upset and saying Democrats are trying to railroad this and take over and they're trying to ruin his reputation and they're going to do this to every nominee. And I just look at Neil Gorsuch, who sailed through for mm-hmm. the most part. Right. He sailed through. Yeah. Neil mm-hmm. Gorsuch, who, like, you know, I don't know a ton about. It wasn't necessarily made clear that he lied multiple times while he was uh, uh, going through his hearing. There were no accusations of sexual assault or anything like that against Neil Gorsuch. And he got through just fine. And look, like it or not, Republicans have the power right now to do these kinds of things. Brett Kavanaugh is something completely different. We just have to understand that. Like, we have to understand it's a completely different situation. This is a very shady character. <laughs> yeah. No, at totally. best. Yeah. At and, best, you know, he's a shady character. And, and for Lindsey Graham to say, oh, boy, if we stop this guy, God help us. No, no, no. Yeah, if we on. let him through, God help us. What does that say about the uh, about the advice and consent process? I can so, I can honestly say in, in 12 years of, of covering Congress and all kinds of fights, all kinds of things that feel like the craziest thing you've ever seen, every couple of years, this is truly one of the lowest points that I've ever seen. One of the most brazen, partisan, disgusting processes I've ever seen in, in hundreds and hundreds of fights about and things because it's not even it about, it's not even about no, it, being a Republican or Democrat. It's just watching a Supreme court nominee completely melt down in a hearing, become partisan, not display judicial temperament, lie under oath yeah. and still, by all signs, appear on his way to being confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. It, it, it just, it, it's mind-boggling that there, we have not. There's not even a line, even a threshold for, for this. Like you think at some point that that basic fairness, basic objective understanding of what's going on will outweigh partisanship. But in this case, it appears that once again partisanship will trump, so to speak, will trump. Yeah just basic understandings of what the right thing to do is. And think about it, that at most, there are three Republicans out of 51 who would even, now I think they're, I think they're all going to vote for him, but we'll see what happens. I'm not happens. convinced. But at any rate, still, there are only three out of 51 who are even willing to entertain any doubt. All the rest of them is just lockstep. And in the last couple of days, making it even more disgusting is the fact that they've taken the gloves off in terms of respecting Dr. Ford or saying, you know, she's sincere, she's credible, she's, but we may not, that may not be a reason for us to vote against Brett Kavanaugh, but at least giving her the benefit of the doubt as a credible person, sincere person. Now Donald Trump is mocking her, making fun of her, and several of the others are too, and they're just calling her a liar, they're putting out all kinds of stories, and that's that's what they do best, right? There's one, there's a, there's a survivor of sexual assault, that just don't blame her or blame the Democrats or blame anybody else. The last but couple of days have been particularly terrible in, in that sense, and namely because Donald Trump yeah. mocked Dr. Ford right. openly and imitated her, and and then the people in the crowd laughed with him. Ah. I mean, there, that was unreal. And then just you know, and then you know, Senator Lindsey Graham yeah. went, was at an event yesterday and and said that he felt that Brett Kavanaugh is the one is the one who's been. Right quote-unquote, treated, treated like, like crap. crap. Right. And he got booed by the crowd. And, you know, of course, he told them, boo back, <laughs> boo, you. boo you. So, I mean, right. this sounds like children. You know, this is a Supreme Court nominee, and this is this is where we are. It is, 
it, it just seems so, so plain to me that this is not the right nominee to do this, regardless of what your party is. Uh, so I want to go. So the New York Times this morning, I thought was very interesting. They had three inconsistencies from the Kavanaugh testimony that the FBI report could address. Things that to clear up now. The first one is the one that you pointed out, that he said these four people or other three people refuted, and they did not. Okay, here's the next one that they, when, it, so whether the party happened, that was it. When it happened, Dr. Ford said, one evening that summer after a day of diving at the club, we heard her say this, I attended a small gathering at a house in the Bethesda area. Kavanaugh said the event described by Dr. Ford, presumably happened on a weekend because I believe everyone worked and had jobs in the summer. But his calendar shows that they did party during the weekday. So that's well, a little thing. Well, but and again, specifically on the day, I mean, the, yeah. there was a specific day, July yes. 1st, that, you know, it all lined up. He had it on his calendar that he was getting some skis, which is he, beers with his July buddies. On July 1, he said he was going to Timmy's for skis. Yeah. That was a week night, and it wasn't not just, a weekend. And it wasn't just Timmy. It was he listed off on his calendar, which, by the way, is super weird that he still has. But he listed off on his calendar all the names of his friends who he was going to see tonight that night. Those were all the same people. The same people that Doctor Ford Leland listed Kyle. off as yeah. being present at the party that yeah. night. He almost affirms that that party happened that night. That that's the night yes. the attempted rape happened. Yes, I mean this feels like a TV show right now. It feels like a like a detective show right. <laughs> because it lines up. You know, it does. No, the piece that comes to sort of the Perry Mason thing. And then <laughs> this one, and this is one that I was focusing on earlier, is the third inconsistency, whether or not Kavanaugh and, and Dr. Ford, Blasey, they call her here, knew each other. She said, during my freshman and sophomore school years, when I was 14 and 15, my group of friends intersected with Brett and his friends. He says, basically, like Christine who, right? Here's what he said. She and I did not travel in the same social circles. It is possible that we met at some point at some events, though I do not recall that. You know, now, th there again, the FBI could easily, I think, determine that. So what do you, what do you think of the, the idea that perhaps Brett Kavanaugh blacked out and truly doesn't remember that this happened? I think it's very possible. And that that's why he's so firmly arguing that he didn't do this because he doesn't very, remember. I think that's very possible. From what we've heard about his excessive drinking habits, I think that's quite possible. But but I think the circumstantial evidence shows on that one night, according to his calendar, he was out with these same three people. It doesn't mention her, but it mentions the other three. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he blacked out about it doesn't mean it was right. But it's certainly all of these things together... Plus, I know you point out in your story, um, even before Dr. Christine Ford came on the scene, he had lied about several things in his initial testimony, mm -hmm. which came out when the other documents were released, that when he said, I didn't know anything about those torture memos down at the White House. I had nothing to do with that whole issue. Yes, he was. He was right in the middle of it. Right. So how can he they was also how can they overlook all of those? Lies? Right. Well, he also was either misleading or lied, depending on how you want to characterize it, about his um, his access to the documents. This I mean, this is going back several years, but, you know, the documents that were stolen from Democrats in the Senate, including Senator Leahy. Yes. That were leaked to the Bush White House to help the Bush White House help understand Democrats thinking on how they were going to uh, process Bush's judicial nominees at the time. 
uh, at the time, Kavanaugh previously said that he didn't know about that. He didn't know the documents were stolen because he was one of the people who had access to those stolen documents back in like 2003. Mm-hmm. So uh, now fast forward to this hearing and it, there's there's emails that are now being provided to the Senate Judiciary Committee that show him corresponding with people who were connected to the stolen documents and him getting an email. One email said like spy, you know, spying or you know, I mean, there were clear indicators that something was fishy with these memos that he was having access to. And that's another thing. Like, how could he yeah. say he had no idea when when the, the details that we can now see in the emails that were produced since that last testimony he gave show that he was on these threads where someone was basically passing along stolen emails from Senate offices. All right. Just about 35 seconds left. You cover this so closely and you know these guys. Uh, Mitch McConnell, would he be pushing for a vote this weekend if he didn't know he already had the votes? I think he would. Really? Yeah. So you don't think it's definite yet? No, I don't. Could it could go still either way? I think it could. I know that's yeah. probably a lot of people have assumed this is done, and maybe it is. Kavanaugh is looking pretty good, but I'm still watching that handful of Republicans, Susan Collins, Murkowski, and Flake, and a couple of Democrats, and I, yeah. I'm not 100% convinced that they have the votes. It could come down to Mike Pence. It could be another Betsy DeVos. It so, could. Go. It could. Hey, Jen, it's great to see you. you Follow too. Jen at HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Thursday, the rest of the day is yours, folks. Enjoy it. Come back and see us tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.